Good morning, Family Church. Hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas. What a blessing it is uh, just to come back right after celebrating the birth of Christ, um, for us to continue in celebration for the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, and ultimately the death but resurrection of Christ. That's what our lives are to be fixated on as believers. This is not just a Christmas thing. This is an everyday thing in our lives, is what it means to be a follower of Christ, is celebrating the birth, the life, the death, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to continue our study in John chapter 7, so go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 25 this morning. As we're turning there, would you pray with me in prayer? God, we come to you this morning after worshiping, after singing, that we submit to you, after singing that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, God, after singing of your birth, of your life, your death, but also your resurrection, God, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you may speak truth to us. God, we thank you that your word is truth, and as we read it, it reveals truth to us. I pray that you may open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to have and to hear all that you have for us this morning. God, may you get a hold of hearts. May you change the 2016 year for every person here to be more God-glorifying, that they may grow in their relationship with you, that husbands may lead their families God, may we as husbands lead our families and wives differently this 2016 year. God, I pray that all these things may glorify you. We open your word this morning and we give praise that we have it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to begin in verse 25 and get all the way through verse 31 this morning. I'd like to start out reading the passage. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they're seeking to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me. And know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He, he who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more than this man has done? We see in these couple of verses... Three questions that were asked. Three questions that were asked by this crowd. And these three questions are what's going to guide our study this morning as we answer each one of these questions. The first question, if you look with me in the text, is in verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this man the one that they're seeking to kill? We're not told if these people in the text here were believers or unbelievers, but apparently word had gotten out and spread in Jerusalem that the religious authorities, the Pharisees, were seeking to kill and arrest Jesus. You didn't have to be a believer to know that. And Jesus was here in the temple 
during this feast, teaching, and there was some murmuring in the crowd because it was so well known in the city that, isn't that the man? Yet, there he is, and they're not doing anything. And they were baffled by that. They were baffled that no one was arresting him, yet there he is teaching openly in the temple. They ask, is not this the man they seek to kill? We know the answer to this question, yes, it was the man they were seeking to kill. We know that because verse 26 goes on to say, and here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. This crowd couldn't understand what the disconnect was. They want to arrest him. They're seeking to arrest Jesus. Here Jesus is, right in the midst of the temple, right around the religious leaders, but they weren't arresting him. So what's the disconnect? Well, we know, church, why that happened. No one laid a hand on Jesus Christ. Why? It's not his time. We see it in the text. Because it was not the appointed time for them to lay a hand on God or on Jesus Christ. And I I want us to see this because we see it time and time again in scriptures that Jesus was not caught and the crowd could not understand why. And we see because it was not yet his time. This goes back to God's perfect plan. Look in Acts chapter 2. This is a passage I have highlighted in Acts chapter 2. But Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 22 through 24. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to what? The definite plan. Whose plan? The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He wasn't arrested yet because it was not yet his time, because it was not yet in God's perfect plan. Definite plan and foreknowledge of God. When you look in Acts, a couple of pages later, in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, it says a similar thing. For truly in this city we're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus Christ, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. It said, who anointed those people? God did. Whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever God's hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Ultimately, the crucifixion of his son. How difficult it is coming out of Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of Christ, to see in the text of the Bible that the birth of Christ, as we sang about this morning, his birth was for what reason? A sacrifice, a ransom, to pay your fine, my fine, our penalty. We celebrate the birth of Christ, but let's not forget the reason he was born is because of our sin. From the very beginning of time, God's perfect plan was to crush his son for God's glory and our sin. We see Isaiah that says, it pleased the Lord to crush his son. How difficult of a passage for us to understand that. It's because of his love for us this morning. As a father or as a mother, we understand the difficulty of that concept. This crowd here is asking the question, why aren't they arresting Jesus? We understand why, because it was not part of God's plan. And I think a lot of times 
what happens is we isolate ourselves from the Scriptures. We isolate ourselves from the Word of God, and we think God only got involved back then. He got involved in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But when it comes to today, God is more like a distant father, and he only steps in when he has to. He's not right alongside everyone like he was back then. It's almost like we can view God as as a pinch hitter. God's sitting on the bench and we're doing our life. And when we need a home run or when we need a, a really good play, then God comes out. Church, that's not the God we see in the scriptures. That's not the God if you're a believer who's involved in your life. Jesus knew not one finger would be laid on him outside of God's will. Think about that. Not one situation would come upon him that his father was not in control of. Do we live that way? Because this doesn't just apply to Jesus. I think we isolate sometimes. It doesn't just apply to Jesus. We also see it all through the Old Testament when you go back and read. I mean, it applied to Joseph, right? God gave this dream to Joseph and he goes and tells his brothers and what happens? Jealousy, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, sold Potiphar, sold to Potiphar, and then accused of adultery. I mean, all these things ultimately led up to the very end, and we know why. God's sovereignty, they meant it for evil, I meant it for good. The whole reason you can boil back to God, and it wasn't just like God left him alone and he just jumped in at the last minute and saved the day. No, we see the whole situation. Not one finger was laid on Joseph outside of God's will. We see it all through with the disciples. We see it with Paul. We see it with Jesus. We see it all over the place. And a lot of times we come to our life and we just live our Christian life and we think, okay, now is really when I need God. Church, everything you're involved in is for God's glory and your sanctification. That's what he's doing in your life. And we have this sometimes view of God where it would be like me as a father I have two children. I have a toddler coming up on two. It'd be like us going to the pool, and I'm sitting down, and I'm just going to let my toddler run by the pool. And he can run around, and I'll just wait and see, see what happens. And it's only when he plops in the water, I run over, and I reach down, and I pick him up, and I saved him. That's, that's not a good picture of God. That's not what he does. As a father, I love my child, And I will not let any permanent harm come to him. So as a father, I walk him around the pool. I walk him by the edge of the pool. We sit down. We put our feet in the water. I may put him in the water. I may put him in a situation that's uncomfortable for him or new to him. But I will not allow permanent danger to happen to my child. This is the same way God is with us. He is alongside of us. And Jesus Christ had this assurance So if you're a believer this morning, I just want to encourage you, in the midst of whatever situation that you are facing, God is with you and has a desire for two purposes in that situation. And this is for every situation you will ever face as a believer. God wants glory out of that situation. And God wants you to grow closer in a relationship to him. Whatever that situation is, those are always two purposes that exist. This should bring us great Comfort. This is what brought great comfort to the early church. That nothing is going to happen to me outside of my Father's will. What a confidence only we can have as believers. 
Now, I want to tell you, church, that this is something of a deep truth in scriptures. And I'm not telling you, you just have to believe this. I encourage you to go seek it out. Go study it in the scriptures. For years and years, this is a really difficult concept for me. But now, it's one of the sweetest truths I find in God's word. What was once so prickly, now is a sweet comfort to me. So I hope that is true for you. We see this crowd asking this question because they just couldn't understand it. Why is he not being arrested? We understand the answer. But they go on and they ask a second question in verse 26. It says, can it be the authorities really know that this person is the Christ, the Messiah? Can it be they really know and that's why they're not arresting him? Well, we know the answer to this question is no. How do we know that? Well, a couple of verses before, as we interpret Scripture from Scripture, we see they couldn't know that because if they did know Jesus was the Messiah, they wouldn't have been arresting him, right? They would have been what? Believing in him. They would have submitted to him as Lord. This is what John seven seventeen says. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether my teaching is from God. So if they knew he was from God, they would have known his teaching was from God, and likewise they would have believed in him as Lord. So we know the answer to this is no. They didn't know. They really thought he was someone in idolatry sinning against God. They didn't know he was the Messiah. They couldn't have, according to Scripture. So as we continue in these verses, we come to verse 31. Our last question says, yet many of the people believed in Jesus. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? It's almost like a rhetorical type of question saying, look at all the things Jesus Christ has done. Is, is the coming Messiah going to do more than this? I mean, truly, I don't think anyone could do more than this. This is the type of questions it was. Because is, it, is he another prophet or is he really the Messiah? We know the answer to this question, that a coming Messiah wasn't going to come, because why? It said they believed in him. They trusted in him as the Messiah. So we know the answer to this question. When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? No, because Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. This group of believers, like me and probably like many of you, they had enough evidence They had enough evidence to see Jesus Christ and everything he had done and to say, I've seen enough to believe. I've seen enough to place my faith. I don't need to see anything else. I want to ask you this morning, church, every single one of us, do you believe in Jesus Christ and who is he to you? As we start the 2016 year, who is Jesus Christ to you? Just formulate an answer within your mind right now. Who is Jesus Christ to you? And do we live our lives that way? Whatever answer you just formulated, do we live our lives according to that? As we start out the 2016 year, Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, as we've saying. He is King of Kings. He is everything in our life. So I encourage us 
This is a, a call and a commitment to me to continue. Husbands, leading our families in ways that will bring God glory. That we're pursuing to seek the washing of our wives in the word. I mean, a lot of times we struggle with just me, right? I mean, I struggle with just me in my relationship with the Lord. But as husbands, we are going to be held accountable for everything that either does or does not happen in our home. So as we start the 2016 year, every day, it's my job for me and my relationship with the Lord to pursue the Lord, but also to help wash my wife in God's word. That's what I'm called to do. To, to pursue helping her get involved in women's ministries, in serving and growing in the Lord. And my children, this is not just they do their own thing, they do their own thing, I do my own thing, and I need to make sure everybody's doing their own thing. Wives, the same is true for you and your children and helping encourage and be a helpmate to your husband. And so as we move to this 2016 year, who is Jesus Christ to us? Maybe you're here this morning and you, you are not sure about this whole Christian thing. You just came, you were invited by somebody, you're in town, and they always go to church, so you kind of got wrangled into the guilt trip of, I need to go to church because I don't want to be home by myself and look bad, right? I've been there. As an unbeliever, I just went because it was the thing to do at the visiting families. I just encourage you, and this is where I'm going in my sermon this morning, that belief in Jesus Christ is not a hope so. How many of you have ever heard the argument? I'm not going to ask if you've used it. I'll just say I've used it before, okay? But I hope from now on we never use this argument again. When we're talking to somebody and we say, well, if you're right, we both just die and we don't exist anymore. But if I'm right, right? You know where I'm going? We've used this before, right? If I'm right, you go to hell and I go to heaven. So why would you not pick my side? How many of you have ever heard that type of argument before, right? I I want us never to use it again. Because what it is, is really us placing our whole faith in Jesus Christ on a hope so. I hope this is right. I hope, and it's not a hope so. It's not a, if I just muster up enough faith. No, it's a, I know so. I know I used to be dead in my sins. And now I know I'm alive in Christ. And so when we talk to people, this is not a hope so, or it's a maybe, or if I just muster up enough faith, or it's a leap of faith. That's not what Christianity is. It's not a leap of blind faith. Do we see that in the scriptures? Where somebody says, I don't know, Jesus. I don't know. I really like what's going on here, but I'm just going to trust in you and do a blind leap of faith. We don't have records of that. We see people who say, my Lord and my God. Or they submit to him and they fall on their knees. Or they're struck blind and and they don't eat for multiple days. I mean, this is the type where they leave everything and run to Christ. So this argument that we sometimes use of you just have to have faith. Or you just need to trust blindly. I want to give us some evidences this morning why you must believe in Jesus Christ. So for believers, this is to encourage you in evangelism, but also to build your faith 
For those of you, and you're not sure if you have a relationship with the Lord, I'm charging you this morning, why? You cannot leave this place and not believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So why you must believe in Jesus Christ? Number one, creation itself testifies to God. Creation itself testifies to God. John 1 says, Jesus, the creator of all things. You only have three options here, regardless of if you're talking to an agnostic, an atheist, a philosopher, a scientist, a chemist, an evolutionist, it doesn't matter. There's only three options. Either the universe creates itself, it's always existed, option two, even though we see it winding down, right, unless it's going to wind itself back up. So it's always existed, it's created itself, or third, it was created. We're on Marco Island. Not a day goes by when a sunset does not bring forth praise from people's mouths. Why? Why does that happen? I mean, how come we worship and we celebrate a sunset with clapping, but a stick washes up on the shore and nothing happens, right? I mean, how come that brings forth praise and this brings forth nothing? It's because Scripture tells us, because we worship creation. We see beauty. It comes from somewhere. God gives us the reason. Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Scripture says nothing else that every single one of us, because of creation, know God exists. There is creation, thus there is a creator. You must believe because creation testifies to his existence. At the end of the day, every single one of us are going to stand before the Lord, and that's going to be a question. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ, he's going to say, I gave you all of creation, and you celebrated beauty, and you celebrated art, and you celebrated design, and you had mathematics, and there's logic, and there's things that don't just formulate by themselves, and they all pointed to an intelligent creator. And what did you do with it? Nothing. So you must believe because all of creation points to a creator. Secondly, you must believe because without Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You have no hope. We worship things that are not God. We celebrate those things. It's called idolatry. I think we know we've worshipped some things that's not the Lord, and we're all in that sin, but the problem is it really doesn't stop there, does it? Your sin and my sin doesn't stop at idolatry. Have we not all, even over Christmas, spoken harshly to someone else? Quickly answered out of a wrong spirit. Had impure thoughts about someone or about something. Struggle with greed, anger, lust, bitterness, resentment towards others, stolen something regardless of size, regardless of value. Have we not gossiped about other people? Do we still not do it from time to time? It just happens, and then we catch ourselves? Have we ever slandered someone else for our personal gain or even enjoyment? I mean, we are just full of these things, 
And without Jesus Christ, this is our state. We have no hope without him. Church, I want to tell you, a defining moment in my life was when I realized how bad I was. And that's a continual, that's a continual defining moment in my life. But when I really realized, man, I am a pretty pathetic person in regards to God's commands. I've broken all of them and I continue to break them and I've done all this big list of things and I've sinned against a holy God. That was a defining moment in my life because in that moment, I felt what's called conviction. I was guilty and I knew it. You know how you can be doing something wrong and you don't, you not really have that conviction and guiltiness and then you're caught and then all of a sudden it's like a different level of what just happened. You didn't feel it as much then. You knew it was wrong, but you still did it. And then you're caught. And then all of a sudden you have all these feelings. This is, this is how I felt. Maybe, and I hope, if you're not a believer, I hope that's how you're feeling right now. Because Jesus cares for you. Listen, when I first understood some of my sin, it was not because God was trying to rub it in my face. And if you're understanding some of your sin right now, it's not because God just enjoys pointing out your sin and rubbing it in your face. It's actually because he loves you and cares for you enough to show you you have a big problem and he wants to fix it. He wants to come alongside and help you. That's the first step is actually understanding your brokenness that you need a savior. All of creation testifies to Jesus Christ. You must believe because all of creation. Secondly, you must believe because without Jesus Christ, you have no hope. But thirdly, you must believe because Jesus Christ cares for you. Kind of reminds me of a speeding. How many of you have ever driven faster than you should have? Look around, the people whose hands are not raised struggle with something else. (laughs) It's called lying or pride. One of the two, right? So, and I wrote this this past week, and I had a great fear of getting pulled over And I wrote this, and I'm like, I really don't hope it's a real illustration that happens in my life. It's just a hypothetical one. I didn't get pulled over, so praise the Lord. But I kept having this feeling I was going to be, and then I'd have like even more of this illustration that really happened. But we've all probably been speeding before. And you know that feeling of when you're driving too fast, and you know it? You know that you're driving a little too fast. It's not just like... You were listening to the radio and, you know, just got a little away from you. No, you know you were going too fast. And then there's that sound, right? There's that sound that happens and, and you're thinking, I hope this is on the radio. Then you realize your radio's off. I hope this is a child in the back seat. And you're like, oh, the spouse has those children. And then there's that sinking feeling, that you get where you feel like you're about this big in your seat, you see the lights, you pull over, you're embarrassed, even though nobody can see you as they're driving by going the speed limit, right? Or five under now because there's a police officer there. And there's that feeling of conviction. You know you were caught. It's not just, I'm going to talk my way out of it. No, I know I was going way too fast. And this police officer, as he approaches your window... That's a couple of options. The first option, which you know you deserve and he knows you deserve, is called justice. This is the feeling 
that I had and I hope all of you have had when you understand your sin and that you've sinned against a holy God and you deserve justice. You deserve judgment. The Bible says we've sinned against a holy God. Because of our sin, we deserve death and separation from God. Terry made that very clear last time he spoke. That's what you and I deserve. I deserve a ticket as this police officer is coming up to my window. There's no talking my way out of this one. So he can give justice. Scripturally, that's called hell. Separation from the Lord for all eternity. And that's what I deserve. I'll be the first to say it. And if you're honest with yourself, that's what you deserve too. Because we've all sinned, knowingly sinned. It's not an oh, accident, I just slipped on the gas a little bit. It's I was going in the wrong direction, the wrong time, at the wrong speed, and I continued to do it, and I continued to ignore warnings that God gave me. We all deserve God to give us justice. But when God stepped into my life, and he showed me those sins, I didn't get justice. There's another option a police officer can give you. He can go up to your window and he can say, well, I see that it's a 30-mile-per-hour zone here on San Marco and there's a children's crossing here and you were going 85. (laughs) But I'm just going to give you mercy. I'm not going to give you a ticket. Does that seem like the character of God? The problem with this illustration is We know a good police officer would not let that fly. He's not going to just let you off the hook this time, even though you're going 85 and a 30 with children. And God, the problem here is God can't just see you in your sin and say, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to give you a pass. God can't do that because God is perfect. So God is going to judge sin perfectly And he can't just overlook sin. He has to deal with it. And either you pay the fine or someone else pays the fine for you. Mercy for the Lord in that manner is not an option. Which leads to the third option that we have this morning. We know we've broken the law. We know there's no talking out of it. When the Lord showed up in my life and I had seen all of my sin and this long list of sin and I knew I couldn't talk out of it, I knew I deserved justice, in that moment God gave me something else and it's called grace. It's called grace. Jesus can give you grace. This is what Jesus Christ came into the world for. He saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit. You broke the law. I broke the law. Jesus Christ came to pay our fine. That's the simple gospel message. You can reject it. You can reject all of creation. You can reject the warning signs. You can reject seeing your sin. You can reject what Jesus Christ has come to do for you. And you'll pay, at the end of time, that justice. But I plead with you this morning, that's not your answer. I I pray and I plead with you this morning that you submit and trust in Jesus Christ and accept the gift that he has freely given you. Jesus Christ was delivered to death for your sins and was raised to life for your justification. Perfect standing with God. 
As in when he comes alongside of you, it's no longer that I saw you were doing 85, but that I'm giving you grace. It's not that I'm just giving you mercy, I'm letting you go by. No, he doesn't even see the sin anymore because Jesus Christ took it for you. For our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, last point here, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God for you. You must believe in Jesus Christ because he satisfied God's wrath for you. This is just called the gospel. Even a child can understand this and receive this. This morning, if you see your sin, it's because God cares for you and loves you. Even as a believer, as we see our sin, it's because God is wanting to grow us and make us more Christ-like, to sanctify us. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ and you've submitted to him, and you're not even sure you're a believer, you're not a Christian, you're here this morning, you're hearing evidence of God because he cares for you, because he loves you. What he's done for you. Don't reject him today. It's glorious, glorious news. I want to spend some time in prayer this morning. And I want to speak to those of us who know we're believers. This is not a hope so. I'm going to church and I hope it's right. This is a, I know I'm a believer. I know I've trusted in Jesus Christ. I love what John Piper says about this. He, he says, I'm not a believer because I remember when I was born again. I'm a believer because I'm alive right now. I'm breathing. I'm spiritually alive. If that's you this morning, I encourage you, when you hear a gospel message, or you just hear the gospel being presented, that our eyes, tendency to have a, we just kind of can glaze over. Old thing, I know I already heard this about a thousand times, gospel message of inviting Jesus into my life, No, what we need to be doing is we need to be rethinking what he's done for us. And it needs to be new and fresh for us every time we hear this. This is a foundational piece. But also, in regards to us giving praise for what he's done, we also need to be praying for those around you. This morning, if you're a believer, there are people in front of you and beside you who do not know Christ as Lord. I can assure you that. So as you're hearing a gospel message, you have the responsibility to be praying for the people on your left and your right and those around you. Praying, God, speak to them. Open their eyes. May they listen to you and turn and trust in you as Lord. So I pray right now that as a believer, you're beginning to do that, that you're praying for the people on your left and your right and in this church. I want to speak to those who maybe this is the first time you've ever heard a message like this. this maybe, maybe you're seeing some things about who God is. Maybe who you are. That defining moment where you understand, man, I really need a Savior because I am in bad shape and I'm going to have to account for my sin at the end of my life. Listen, if you're struggling with those things, it's because God loves you, cares for you, and He's revealing your sin to you. And He doesn't reveal sin for no reason. He does it because he's offering a way to take care of your sin. It's not just to rub it in your face. It's because he loves you 
And he wants to take that sin and wipe it away. He did that through the cross with you. So I pray, as we all close our eyes, that we spend some time with the Lord. For those of you who are unbelievers, you're not sure about this Christian thing, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're struggling, I encourage you to spend some time just talking to God in your mind. This is what I did. I understood I was a sinner, and I just asked God, God, if you're there, God, speak to me. Change my heart. And I knew he was there. It wasn't a maybe or hope so, God. I know you're there. Do something. Ask him to come into your life to save you, to do a work in you. After you do that, Scripture says if you've trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, that you can become a believer, that you're a believer. It's as simple as trusting in what he's done for you. God, I pray for all of us that the 2016 year, that is not just more lip service of us saying we're going to get into church more and we're going to read your word more, but for all of us that we really may put feet to our words. God, that we pursue you like never before. We pursue you in study. That we get serious about things. We get serious about things hindering us in this life from sharing the gospel, hindering us from having a life that brings more glory to you. God, I give you praise this morning for your word, what you've done and what you're doing here. God, we thank you again for who you are and what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say a couple more things. If you have questions or thoughts or you want to talk with me about the gospel, the good news that I talked about this morning, I encourage you after the service to find me. And this does not need to be, I just want you to know, there's going to be a line of people, just like every Sunday morning, waiting to talk to me. If you have questions about your salvation, you have questions about the Lord, or you want to become a Christian this morning, listen, you can cut in the line. Just, just cut all of them off and grab me and say, I need to talk to you. I promise, every person in the line wants you to do that. So I just encourage you. You can wait in line, but grab me by the hand and say, can we talk somewhere? And I will gladly leave all the people in the line to talk with you because that is what we are here for. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Don't allow fears of other people or what they think of you or having to rush out of lunch to change something as important of a decision that would affect eternity. So thank you guys this morning.